Hello, I'm Jacob Kruger, and this is the Write Your Screenplay podcast. Last week, we talked about the first 10 pages of Talk to Me. We talked about how those first 10 pages work on three different levels, right? On the writing level, allowing you to find your voice and the images that you're going to build from on the structural level, allowing you to have the things that you're going to yes and as you build your character's journey, and on the commercial level, right? A way to grab your audience and go, hey, pay attention. This is going to be cool. No, it's going to be even cooler. 10 pages in, you're going to buy this. Those are the three things that your first 10 pages are doing. But there's also so much to talk about, about the structure and the theme of talk to me. So this is what's beautiful about genre movies, right? Genre movies can just be a bunch of blood and gore. And talk to me certainly has enough blood and gore to carry us for uh, years of nightmares. But great horror movies are not just about blood and gore. If you listen to my podcast on Quiet Place or Hereditary, right? These elevated horror films, right? And they don't have to be expensive. But these elevated horror films, they're not about the horror of monsters. They're about the horror of families, of relationships, right? Of the personal stuff that the audience is actually dealing with, right? They're just blown up expressions. So there are going to be a bunch of spoilers ahead just to warn you. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, this is a good time to hit pause and go watch this film. And if you're not into scary, then just listen to the podcast because it is truly a terrifying horror movie. So when we look at Mia's journey, Mia's journey ain't about I'm being possessed by a bunch of monsters. Nobody in your audience has ever been possessed by a monster, most likely. Most likely, none of them have ever shaken hands with a creepy can that might have been lopped off of an actual psychic. And at the same time, all of our audience are living horror movies because we're all human beings. And life is freaking hard and scary and sad. And if you've listened to my podcast on A Quiet Place or Hereditary, right, you're understanding how these great horror movies, these are really family stories. We're watching a story about a girl who lost her mom. And she has two competing stories in her head. She has a story her dad told her that she knows isn't true, but she wants to believe is true, which is that it was an accident. And then she has a story that she knows somewhere must be true, which is that her mom killed herself on purpose. And then she has this complicated thing, right? Her mother was scratching at the door trying to get out. Did she change her mind at the last moment? What happened there? But there's this image, right, of the fingernails dragging on the... And it's not even shown in the movie, right? It's, a, it's an image in your head. So we know that she has this horrible trauma, right? This horrible trauma. And you can see that the mom's nails are connected to her nails, right? The, the writers are just riffing. Okay, it's about nails. So if you listened to the podcast last week, right, part one of this podcast... We start with an image of her nails, and then that's going to connect to a story about mom's nails, and that's going to connect to a horrifying image of her fingers. And then at the end of the movie, we're going to discover what that image means, and we'll talk about that in a second, right? So we're going to riff on fingernails. This is what we were talking about last week, right? We take this one thing, and then we go, let's do more, let's do more, let's do more, let's do more. Yes, and, right? Not fingernails and elbows. 
fingernails. There's a reason it's a hand that you hold. It's all connected to the main character, right? And these are little clues that are making the wonderful trick ending, which I promise I will not spoil for you, but that's making the wonderful trick ending of this piece feel both surprising and inevitable, right? You're starting to realize the rules of this piece, it's all connected to Mia and it's all connected to Mia's story. And you're starting to get that on a subconscious level just by the writers and the director, yes, ending themselves. Okay. So we have this character. She is cut off from her dad. Her mom has killed herself. She's trying to be part of another family that's not her family, but they love her. They love her even though she is troubled, right? They love her. And they're trying to be warm and welcoming. She has this beautiful relationship with Riley, right? Her best friend's younger brother. She has a crush on her ex, Daniel, who's now her best friend's boyfriend. She wants to belong because she has lost so much, right? And she is trying to fit in and belong. Early in the movie, she's just picked up Riley because Jade, Riley's sister, her best friend, uh, is ignoring his text. So she, Mia's picked him up. And they're rocking it out in the car and they're having so much fun. And then we have this terrifying image. Something is in the road. And what is it? It is a kangaroo writhing in pain. And that kangaroo is going to lead Mia to have to make a structural choice. Do you run it over and put it out of its misery? Do you assist it in suicide? Or do you leave it to suffer in horror, right? And this question is going to appear again and again and again and again in Mia's journey. And it's connected, you can see, to the story of Mia's mother's death, right? We're going to learn later in the piece the secret that dad's been hiding, that this letter, this suicide note that her mother wrote, that she felt hope for the first time knowing that her suffering was over that the suicide gave her hope, that that was the way out, right? So now Mia is wrestling with, do you help this animal be put out of its misery like mom was? Or do you do no harm and leave it to suffer not knowing what's going to happen, right? What is the right thing to do? And that connects to a question inside of her, right? Do I stay with my suffering? And that's going to lead to a question related to Riley too, that we're going to get in a second. But the movie's going to be framed by this kangaroo, right? Because this kangaroo is going to come back at the end of Act 6, if we think of it as a seven-act structure, right? This image is going to come back. For you, those of you who only know three-act structure, um, you could think of the end of Act 6 like the end of Act 2 in a three-act structure, right? It's the final choice that the character makes in relation to a theme. And there are a bunch of reasons that I teach seven acts. It's so much easier. It's so much more intuitive. And it's so much easier to build structure this way. But really, if you're comfortable with three acts, great. If you've studied with me, then you know more about seven act structure and why it's helpful. But it doesn't matter, right? Both structures build to the character making a huge choice in relationship to the theme. And right before she makes her huge choice, that kangaroo is going to appear again. It's going to be a vision of that kangaroo dripping blood on the hospital hallway. 
And we start to realize, if we're really looking at it closely, that that kangaroo is her, right? That kangaroo is her mother. That kangaroo is Riley. That kangaroo is a symbol, right? Now, when you write the kangaroo, there's a good chance you don't know it's a symbol. You write a dying kangaroo in the road. Why? Because it's creepy and you're playing with a trope, right? Which is there's something out there. Don't get out of the car. Don't get out of the car. Oh, it's just a cat, right? Well, in this case, it's just a dying kangaroo, but it's connected to a moral choice. It's connected to the theme. And this is what heightens the piece, right? It ain't just a cat. It's not just a jump scare. It's a thematic thing, but you might not know at the beginning what that thematic thing does, but you're going, this is a piece. I've got to yes and it. I can't leave it. It's got to matter later. How? What does it mean, right? You start to get curious. So let's build for a second. I'm going to help you understand Mia's journey and Riley's journey and how they connect. So by the time we're at the inciting incident, Mia, of course, has shaken the hand and invited a spirit into her. And just like the themes, right, just like drug addiction, it feels freaking great and it's celebrated and it's a giant freaking party. It's everything she's been looking for. It feels good for this girl who has not felt good for so long. And what starts to happen is the characters start to do it again and again. And this is such an interesting thing. It's such a simple tactic, but I want to show you what they're doing, right? This is just a concept called mirroring and foiling, right? So a mirror, a mirror means you look at your first cool thing, Right? And you go, let me do it again in a way that outdoes it. And a foil is you look at your first cool thing and your second cool thing, whatever your pattern is, and you go, let me do something that strongly contrasts with it. And literally, nearly every image of every character in your script is going to be a mirror or a foil to an earlier image. And as you start to build your script, everything is just a yes and. It's just a mirror or a foil to something that came earlier. And by the way, if you're really building organically, you can also mirror and foil things that come later. You can write around your script, not knowing how you're getting to this terrifying image of the kangaroo in the hospital room dripping blood. You don't know what it means yet, but you're going, if this is true, maybe there's a kangaroo earlier, right? So you can mirror and foil in both directions as you write. And what your mind will start to do is it will start to make patterns and it will start to build structure out of it. Because your mind is programmed to go, this is like this, and this is like this, and this is different, and that's what it means. Your mind is programmed to find the meaning out of related images. Here's what's really cool. The mind of your reader and your viewer are trained to do the same thing. And so you, when you start to write with mirrors and foils, you stop having to spoon-feed your reader information, and instead you allow your reader to start to tell themselves a story, right? And this is how you start to hypnotize your reader so that rather than going, okay, I understand what she's saying now, your reader's going like, oh my God, I think this is what's happening. Oh my God, I think this is what hap what's happening. And if you look at the way that Talk to Me is built, you see how much complicated stuff is happening and how we're keeping up with a magic that is transforming in front of our eyes and we're going, I get it, I get it, I get it. Not because it's being spoon-fed to us with words, but because it's being given to us with images that make us go, oh, I'll give you an example of this. There is an image um, 
Mia is attracted to uh, Jade's boyfriend, Daniel, who's also her ex. And things have gone really, really wrong for reasons we'll talk about later. And Daniel has reluctantly agreed Mia can no longer stay with the family who loves her, right? She is metaphorically having an addiction problem to the point where she has caused so much damage that they've said, no, no, we love you, but no longer. And now she is trying to connect to anybody and she has a crush on Daniel and they're trying to keep it platonic, right? He's really trying. She's kind of trying, but she just wants, she just wants her arm to touch his leg. She just wants some contact, right? Some connection. And she has an image of this horrifying ghost demon woman, right? Sucking Daniel's foot. And she's screaming to wake him up. And when he wakes up and looks at her, it's her sucking his foot, right? And this is a this is a disturbing image for both of them, right? And it feels like an infidelity. But this is the first time we as an audience go, oh, I get the rules. Sometimes she is she is seeing somebody else, but it's really her doing it, right? Sometimes she can be in two places at once. And this is going to be so important later because later her father is going to read her the suicide note. And a really interesting thing has happened, right? So let me build a little more structure so you can see how this is built. Um, so we start out and we've got Mia. She is a wholesome girl who's been through some horrible shit. She's more reliable than her best friend who doesn't even pick up her brother. And she loves Riley. Mia tries this thing. She tries her drug. She invites the demon in. And it's horrifying to watch, but everyone's celebrating it. And inside, even though what we see on the outside is horrible, on the inside, she feels great. She felt the kind of hope, joy that her mother felt anticipating an end to the suffering, right? She felt great. And so she wants to do it again and again, right? And we have this simple structure, right? We're, okay, we got the hand. We're going to keep using the hand. So the first thing they do is a mirror. And the key with the mirror is a mirror needs to outdo it. So we're going to watch Mia do it the first time. And of course, the first time something's going to go wrong, right? You're only supposed to do it for 90 seconds. They go a little bit over. The second time we're going to outdo it, Daniel's going to do it. And he's going to end up making out with a dog. And it's gross. And he's embarrassed and humiliated and everyone's taking the pictures. And you can see this is just another yes and, right, to that very first image, right, that we see when Cole is trying to save his brother and everyone's taking, taking pictures. It's a yes and. It's a mirror to the first image when everyone's recording Mia doing it. And now we're going to see Daniel do it, right, the good kid who doesn't even kiss. He does it. But for him, it's not this awesome experience. It's a horrible experience. And Mia sees that horrible experience and she sees his humiliation and her thought is not, oh, I'm never doing this again. Her thought is, I want to do it again, 
right? Do you see how that mirrors? We just built it. And do you see how it builds around the main character? The character is growing and changing. We then, if we do it a third time the same way, it's going to get really freaking boring. So we then just have a montage, right? Where we see them just, it's a giant party. And you can see this is a yes and to the first image of the piece, right? The giant party, everyone's partying and getting drunk and having a good time, right? It's just an amplified version of that. It's a rager. It's so cool. Everyone gets to do this horrifying thing and it's awesome, right? And you can see we're building that metaphor of escape and addiction and the thing that's awful on the outside but feels good on the inside, right? The thing that you think is your salvation that's actually your destruction, right? We're building that metaphor. Then we're going to have a fourth beat, right? It's just, we've had mirror, mirror, mirror. Now we're going to have a foil, Right now we're having a contrasting thing, right? All of these things have felt good. We're now at the sea change, if you understand seven act structure, right? It's felt good, good, good. We've just kept doing the same thing. And we've built this primary relationship, which is between Mia and Riley, right? This little boy that she loves who keeps on getting invited along. The kid who wouldn't even smoke a cigarette the first scene that we met him. Now he wants to do it. And an interesting flip happens. This is the first little foil. Jade, who wasn't interested in her brother and didn't even want to pick him up, is the one who goes, no, 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 no. He doesn't get to do it. And Mia, who's had such a good experience, she wants him to be able to do it. And they get into an argument. Jade leaves, thinking that her brother's not going to do this. And Mia convinces the others because Riley wants it so much and she loves him and she wants him to have this and he wants to have it. She convinces the others to let him do it. And it starts off just like all the others. And it's only supposed to go for 60 seconds because he's so young, right? And then this really cool thing happens. Because throughout the first half of this movie, we've been building this problem about mom died, right? Killed herself. Did she kill herself? I don't know. I don't, I know the story my dad's telling me is not true, but I also know that that's what I want to believe. And who is the demon that in, or who is the ghost that enters Riley? The ghost is mom. And it's such a wonderful turn. It's a foil. And mom is not like the other horrifying demons. Mom says beautiful things to Mia. I never wanted to hurt you. I didn't want to die, right? I'm so sorry, right? She's saying all the things that Mia needs to hear to deal with this suicide. She's telling her the story that she wants to believe. And Mia doesn't let it end. She begs, no, it's been 60 seconds. No, please just let, it's my mom in there. Which leads us to our next turn. When Riley starts banging his head against the furniture, right? Banging and banging and banging and blood and he tries to pull out his own eye, right? And it's only his sister, Jade, putting her hand in between him and the furniture that stops that last fatal blow from happening. So we get this two turns in a row, right? These two foils, right? This thing that looked ugly and felt good becomes this thing that feels beautiful and then the worst version of ugly, the most 
horrifying thing. But you can see this is just a yes and. It's just a mirror. It's a foil to their experience, but it's just a mirror to the experience with Cole and his brother at the very beginning of the movie, right? The guy who stabs his brother and stabs himself through the head, right? It's just a mirror to what we've already seen. So mirror foil, mirror foil. We start to tell ourselves the story of what's happening. Riley's journey, right? Again, it's going to mirror addiction, right? Most people, having seen what happened to Riley, would never want to touch the hand again, right? But for Mia, it starts to seem like the hand is the answer. And she's starting to see her mom, right? She wants to connect to her mom again. So she uses the hand again, even though this horrible thing has happened. And her mom does appear. And she thinks she's using it safely, right? She says, talk to me. But she doesn't say, I, I let you in. And so we start to feel like, oh, maybe mom really is there. And once again, mom is saying all the right things. She's saying, Riley needs your help. You need to save him. And we go back to the hospital, and it does look like Riley needs her help because he's catatonic. And the sister is trying to care for him. And he comes awake. And he, mirror, starts to bang his head against the wall of the hospital, trying to kill himself again. He's already the most one of the most disgusting images we've ever seen in a movie, right? With all the disfiguration from his injuries before. And he's banging his head against the wall until blood is running down the drain. Mirror, right? It's the same, but it outdoes. And it's starting to become clear that these demons are still in him. So maybe mom was telling the truth. Mia has lost her family, right? Uh, uh, Jade and, and Riley's mom tells her, go away, you did this to him. Jade is like, go away, I told you not to do this, right? Mia comes back and she convinces Jade, maybe we forgot to blow out the candle, right? Maybe. If we just use the hand again, you see this is another foil, right? It's just hand, 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 but now we're using the hand to save somebody. Maybe if we just use the hand again, we can get the demon out of him. Because if he dies with the demon in him, they will have him forever. Those are the rules that we've been told. So they try, but it doesn't work until Mia gets the idea, whoa, what if I use the hand to connect to him? So she's still an addict, right? She's, but she believes she's using it for good. She believes this is the way towards hope. So she's now using this thing, foil, right? She's now using the, she turns the hand around and she's using the hand to try to connect to Riley because Riley can't speak to say, talk to me, I let you in. He can't do it. So they can't blow out the candle and get the demons out of him. So Mia, taking her mom's advice, right, starting to step into her mom's view of the world, she turns the hand around, right, and she uses it again. And this time she tries to use it to connect to Riley, but instead what appears is a little girl. And the little girl, this is another foil, right? So every time we've heard use the hand, it's been, talk to me, I let you in. Talk to me, I let you in. 
This time it's a foil. She asks the little girl, where's Riley? And the little girl says, I can take you to him. And this time it's the little girl who says, I let you in. And we're like, whoa, we didn't see that coming. But it's just a foil. It's from the person going, I let you in, to now the little girl going, I'll let you in. And Mia is carried into the horrifying world of the demons where they are basically feeding on the body of Riley. It's the most horrifying thing. And she realizes they are never going to let him go. Riley has become her mother, possessed by demons that he cannot escape. And now mom's philosophy starts to take hold, right? So now we're coming all the way back around. She comes home and dad finally tells her the truth. He reads mom's suicide letter and mom's belief, right? Which is what this is about, which is you got to run over that kangaroo. The only hope is death. And she doesn't want to believe it. She says to dad, no, mom told me that that's not true. And she runs to her room and there's mom. And she is starting to see the creatures without the hand, right? Which is also magic that's been set up in a really nice way. So she's starting to see mom without the hand. And mom tells her, that's not your dad. And dad bursts down the door. And he isn't dad. He is a horrible demon dad. And he is on top of her. He's trying to kill her. But there's a scissor right there. And then we cut outside. And there's dad on the couch. And then dad is running in and banging down the door. The real dad. And you can see that all this has been set up by that image we talked about earlier. The, that scene with the foot people can be in two places at once. And we see Mia on the ground from dad's perspective and there's no one on top of her. And dad gets down to help her. And of course, it's him that she stabs. So you can see that's really complicated magic, right? If you've studied anything about how to build fantasy or horror or sci-fi, right? You know you have to establish the rules of the world. And people usually think establishing the rules of the world is about a bunch of talking. These are the rules of the world. But that is not the way it works. It's actually the images, right? And this throwaway genre, like gross sucking on the foot thing that actually establishes the world of being in two places at once that makes the stabbing of the dad feels surprising and inevitable. But we can also see on an emotional level, on the drama level, if we took all the horror out, this is a beautiful little drama about a girl whose mom killed herself, who's wondering, is my only way out to do the same thing? Maybe mom was right. And maybe there are demons possessing me and my friends that can only be escaped by death. Right? Maybe there is no way to get better from what is inside of me. That's what this is about. So she's now killed her father, right? And it's horrifying. And she shows up to follow mom's advice and save Riley. And an amazing thing happens. Riley's mom, Jade's mom, 
takes her back into the family. There were no drugs, she says, and I know you would have never done anything to hurt him. She tries to trust her again. Jade tries to trust her again, only to discover that she's murdered her father. And she has this moment, right, where she has to choose between two fantasies, right? Mom and Jade are even saying that it looks like Riley's starting to get better. But what she's seeing is something else. She's seeing a Riley who cannot get better unless she does something, right? The only escape is what her mom said. And you can see what she's doing is she's going back. She's reliving the metaphorical version of this horrible trauma that actually happened to her. Which, by the way, is how psychology works. It's not just how movies work, right? If we don't deal with our traumas, we repeat them. And this is what makes writing so powerful and so healing, right? It gives us an opportunity to do different variations on our trauma to go, well, if that's true, what else is true? To actually do mirrors and foils to ourself and ask ourselves some questions and also look at the logical conclusions if we continue on the paths that we're on without making a change. Where, did, where might they actually lead? This is the incredibly healing power of movies, of writing, of art, right? So going back to structure, Mia kidnaps Riley and disappears, and we realize she's rolling him in his wheelchair down towards the highway. And we realize that she is going to kill him. She is possessed. She is possessed. Not by a demon, but by a thought. The same thought that killed her mother. A thought that's so obviously false. Right? That's as false as the idea that this horrifying thing somehow is good. But it's a story, it's a beautiful story that she wants to believe. That there's a monster in him and that she's killing the monster, not him. That she's freeing him. This is a playing out of her mother's journey. And of course, Jade is rushing down because it's a horror movie and there are tropes, right? And Jade is rushing down, getting there just in time to try to save her. And an amazing thing happens, and this is going to be a spoiler. So from this point forward, I'm spoiling the trick ending. Because Mia hesitates, and then it's not Riley she hurdles into the road. It's herself. And we realize at this moment that what Mia has done is she's relived the trauma of her mom, right? She's made it her own trauma. Yes, she's done it on horror movie terms rather than on drama movie terms. But it's actually the same story, right? Because under every genre movie, it's just a drama about a family, about relationships, right? About people dealing with real stuff, right? Real psychological patterns that are truly horrifying, right? That's where the best elevated horror, right? There's wonderful B-horror that doesn't do that. But that's where the best elevated horror comes from, right? When we get the personal, emotional, thematic journey that we can relate to and the horror journey with the genre elements happening at the same time. So you see at that moment that Mia has actually completed her mom's journey. She's come to the same conclusion that her mother has come to, which is that the only hope is through death. 
And we've been set up with a very simple rule, which is once you die with them inside of you, they have you forever, right? Mia doesn't have to throw herself into the road. All she has to do is stop. But she's done such horrible things. And she's haunted by such horrible memories and such horrible demons that it seems like this is the only answer. And this is when we get that last image. She stands up in the middle of the road. We're being told nothing about the rules. We're only seeing it visually. And we don't know if she survived or not. And this is when we see those hands again. And we realize, oh, it's from the road. It's from the impact. That's what's hurt those fingers that we met when she was just peeling at her nail polish. And she's walking around the road and we're surprised that she survived. And it seems like all the other people are too. And then suddenly she's back in the hospital, which seems impossible, except that we've been set up in a world where there are visual rules that have told us that characters can be in two places at once. And as she wanders the halls of the hospital, we're seeing Riley, he's okay, and he's getting packed up to leave, and her dad is there, and she's calling to him, but he's walking away, and he can't hear her. And then we finally see that image that we've been set up, this dream that we've been told she had, where she looks in the mirror, and she doesn't see a reflection. And she looks in the mirror and doesn't see her reflection, and we realize this is the completion of that fear, of that journey that she has become one of these demons. Which brings us to the last image of the movie, which is just another mirror to the hand. Except this time we're at a completely different party. And we're seeing a bunch of kids with the hand from Mia's perspective. And then they're holding Mia's hands. And they say, I let you in. This is just a story about how if we don't move past our traumas, we end up repeating them. This is just a story about how the things that feel like partying and escape that are so ugly on the surface, but that when we ignore the ugliness because we want to trust the escape and the hope and the beauty, that it leads us to destroying or potentially destroying the real beauty that exists, right? That our desire to escape gets in the way of our ability to actually move through. So this is what the story is about. But you can see, even though I just broke down a whole character journey and a whole structure, it's really just about mirrors and foils. And those mirrors and foils come back to that first sequence that we talked about, those first 10 pages that we talked about in episode one of this podcast. So I want you to think about this. Structure, yes, there are a million things I can teach you about building structure and the craft element of that. But structure can also be built intuitively just by forcing yourself to really see, feel, and hear things. Forcing yourself to riff on those things with mirrors and foils, with yes ands, right? And then allowing your own meaning maker to say, if this is true, what else is true? And if those things are true, then what does it mean? What's the story that I'm really telling? Not just the genre on top. What's the drama that I'm telling underneath? And you will know that your genre movie is working, whether it's an action movie, a superhero movie, a horror movie, a comedy, a romantic comedy, a thriller, a noir, right? A heist movie, whatever you're building, you're going to know your genre movie is really working when two things are happening at the same time. When you're going genre element, genre element, genre element, genre element that outdo each other, that build like a fireworks display under the 4th of July. But when you can also go, if I took all of those genre elements out, 
I would have a little Sundance movie. I'd have a little drama that told a story about a character going through something real and either making a beautiful choice or making a terrible choice. In this case, we just have a story of Mia who needs to decide whether she's going to run over that kangaroo or try to help it live. I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If you want to learn more about building your screenplay organically, then come check out my classes. We have wonderful foundation classes in screenwriting and TV writing. We have master classes that will give you a grad school level education for a few hundred dollars a month. We've got a ProTrack mentorship program that will pair you one-on-one with a professional writer who will mentor you every week or every other week through your entire career, read every page and every draft you write for the tiniest fraction of what you would pay for grad school and many other wonderful programs that are here to support you as writers. So come check it out, writeyourscreenplay.com, link in bio.